This is a Faith FM podcast. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Hello there, and thanks again for joining me once again. I'm Robbie Bergen, and you are listening to The Faith Experiment, and this is episode number 12. And I'm calling this episode 5,000 Churches. If you are joining me for the first time on The Faith Experiment, this is about putting faith into practice. And so far, I've been sharing with you my own personal journey of how I went from a non-believer to a faith experimenter. Now, if you've missed any of the previous episodes and you want to catch up on the details, be sure to go to faithfm.com.au or look for the Faith FM app in your app store and you will find the Faith Experiment under the podcast section. You'll also find the Faith Experiment on all the good podcasting platforms, making it easy to keep up to date with the latest episodes. Well, I love hearing from you on The Faith Experiment, and I would love to hear from you today. Where are you listening to The Faith Experiment right now? Let me know by texting me on 0488-45311, or you can email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au. Now, on this episode, I don't have a gift for you, because I need something from you today. I need your help with something, so I need you to stick around to the end of the show and find out how you can help me. Over the past 11 episodes, I've been taking you through step by step how I went from a skeptic to a believer. And this wasn't something that happened overnight. In fact, it took a little over a year. It took a year for me to finally have my questions answered, for mysteries to be resolved, and for a foundation of facts to be laid. And this journey had taken me into realms I never knew existed. I'd made discoveries that changed the very nature of my understanding of reality. I had learned from ancient manuscripts and texts from various world religions. I'd asked probing questions of worldviews, and I'd used every known tool from my problem-solving world and put them into practice to try to critically analyze without bias as best as I could. And if you have been journeying with me over the past 11 episodes, you'll know all the twists and turns that this quest took me on. I found characteristics and attributes of God. I found an agreement between DNA mutation studies and the common ancestry across multiple worldviews. I found creation stories, and most of the world religions contained the same narrative of a creator God bringing into existence humanity. I discovered the purpose of humanity as contained in the teachings of manuscripts, some of them dating back almost 4,000 years. I found that the claim that God of the Hebrew manuscripts is not just a God, but claims to be the only God. And I discovered how that this claim is meant to be tested by his creation, humans. And this quest took me through the pages of history comparing predictions which were given hundreds of years before the events, and comparing these predictions with the actual historical records of historical books and documents. And I found the uncanny accuracy provided more empirical evidence for the supernatural nature of these manuscripts. And I left you on the last episode, episode 11, A Storm in a Prayer, when on that night, that stormy night, a little over a year after the events of September 11, 2001, I was sitting in my lounge room in Brisbane reflecting on the data, reflecting on 
the findings, reflecting on the evidence, and how then everything culminated in that moment, a moment in eternity, where there was almost an intercepting of time and space between the physical dimension and the supernatural realm, and sitting there in the dark with the Gospel of John being played on the discman in the background. It was then and there that I heard Jesus pray for me. And it was then that I understood that this wasn't a quest for knowledge. This wasn't a quest to solve a problem. This wasn't a quest to gain insight into the future. This thing that I saw as a quest was actually the opening of a channel of communication between God and one of his creations, me. And as those passages of John chapter 17 would be communicated to me, my name was distinctly placed in that intercessory prayer of Jesus. And I understood as sort of the scales were lifting off my eyes and the deafness was being removed from my ears, I understood that the longing desire of God's heart was to be with me. It's to be with all of us. It's to be with you. And it was there on that night that I became a believer, that I became a believer in Jesus. That was the night that I became a follower of Jesus. It was on that night that I became a Christian. Now, I guess you could say that my experiment with faith had already begun before that night. You could possibly say that was the driving factors that led me to go on that quest from the field with that that playback of my life scene by scene to be interested in pursuing this this quest to understand what these religious texts said and what they didn't say and what they were teaching. I guess you could say that that was a part of my experiment with faith, but in many respects, my faith experiment really started on that night in my lounge room. Now, I've said it before on the show, but it bears repeating. What's the definition of this word experiment? And according to the dictionary, an experiment is a scientific approach or a procedure that's used to undertake a quest to discovery. We experiment to test an hypothesis or to demonstrate a known fact. And on the other side of this word, experiment, is the word faith. And the definition of the word faith is really summed up with the idea of belief, that something is true. And because of that belief, you make decisions which govern your worldview. They govern your interactions, your behaviors. Now, this show is about the faith experiment, combining these two words, faith, something you believe in, something you're hoping for, and experiment, something which is used to test a hypothesis, to demonstrate a known fact. And so I'm suggesting that faith, our belief, is something that must be experimented with in order to test a hypothesis or a belief and to demonstrate the impact of that belief. And so on that night in November 2002, that night that I allowed the data to speak, and I expected a very real probability of not just the existence of God, but a relationship with God. And so now, almost by definition... I threw myself into a faith experiment because now I need to test my hypothesis, my belief, my faith. I need to demonstrate the impact of this faith. After all, if faith is real, 
if it is an empirical fact, then it should be something that can be demonstrated, that can be measured, and can be repeated. And so, my faith experiment had begun. And the first thought that came to my mind the morning after this encounter with God was this. So what do I do now? And this, as they say, is where the rubber hit the road. Well, it's time to take a short break now, but when we come back, I'll continue with 5,000 Churches. And don't forget to stick around to the end of the show to see how you can help me out on this episode. I'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 04888-45311. That's 04888-45311. Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au.
Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Listen live or listen later. Get the Faith FM app from your app store today. Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm your host, Robbie Bergen, and this is episode 12 of the Faith Experiment, and I'm calling this episode 5,000 Churches. Now remember, I need your help today, so stick around to the end of the show to see how you can help me out. And before the break, I was sharing with you, after my encounter with God on that Thursday night in November 2002, I began my faith experiment. And the first thought that came to my mind was, so what do I do now? This was the point where all the theory, all the information, all the facts had to be put into practice. The rubber had to hit the road. You see, one of the things that appealed to me in my secular view of the world was that I could shun and avoid the two great evils of the world. The two things in the world that I hated with a passion. The first thing was religion. And the second was politics. I saw these two things as the most contentious and obnoxious concepts that this world had ever developed. Religion is always so divisive. I mean, it wasn't that long ago when if you didn't believe the same way as the rest of the social construct that you're a part of, you would literally be put to death. Think of the Dark Ages, where if you entertained a belief that was different to that of the Roman Catholic Church, you were labelled a heretic and put to death. You know, some historians estimate that in the order of somewhere between 100 to 200 million people lost their lives during that 1260 year of papal supremacy because of the simple fact that they disagreed over belief. You know, even in the early stages of the great American experiment, depending on which colony you were settled in, if you didn't hold to the same truths as the rest of the pilgrims in that society, you too would find yourself drowned at the bottom of a barrel or a river, or, if you were lucky, you would just be run out of town. Even in the great motherland of England, the rivalry between Protestants and Catholics resulted in deaths and murders and executions and even a plot to assassinate not just the king, but the entire House of Lords in what is now known as the infamous Guy Fawkes plot to blow up Parliament, which ironically, is even still celebrated today in the United Kingdom on November 5th. So I had a fairly good reason why to have a strong distaste for all things religious. And being even identified as religious was not exactly one of my greatest ambitions in life. Which leads me to my second passionate hatred of politics. Now, don't get me wrong. I enjoy a good debate of ideas. Because at the end of the day, if your idea is good, it can withstand subjection, interrogation, and objection. 
if it's a good idea, it will stand. And from that perspective, I'm all in favor for good policy discussion. But the kind of politics you see on ABC Question Time, when a question is asked, point blank, and then the respondent does everything they can to avoid a direct yes or no for fear of offending one side or the other side of the electorate, it just makes you sick. Take a stand. Let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. And so I saw that most politicians were more interested in the perks of the job than listening to the actual voices of their constituents. Now, I'm speaking in general terms, of course, and this isn't true for each and every person who has chosen the profession of a political career. But I was not a fan of the political process at the ripe old age of 23 turning 24. And I did all that I could to keep myself free from the taint of religion and the smell of politics. And so here I was, a believer in the supernatural, a believer in God. Did this mean now that I was religious? Did this mean now that I had become the very thing that I had once despised? I comforted myself with the knowledge that this quest was not out of influence from a priest or a pastor or a bishop or a minister. My decision to become a follower of this Jesus was based on the evidence. It was based on my quest, my experience. It was based on facts and findings that I had seen with my own eyes, that I had read and I had tested. And I was determined not to get sucked into the cesspool of religion. After all, I reasoned that I connected with God outside of religion and therefore I have no need of it. And this rationale gave me peace and comfort and a sense of safety for a period of time. I resolved to simply read the ancient manuscripts of the Hebrew Old Testament and the Greek New Testament and learn all there was to learn about the teachings of this master teacher, Jesus, the Son of the living God. And that's exactly what I did. I read, I compared the pages of Scripture with other passages of Scripture, and I started to see common recurring themes and concepts and ideas of words. And I found that my understanding of these teachings began to grow, almost exponentially, since I had made that decision to be a follower of Jesus. And as I asked him to show me and to open my eyes to his words and to his teachings, I felt as if I could see things more clearly. As I started to get more and more familiar with the larger body of works that make up what we call the Bible today, and as I became more exposed to the writings of the Old Testament prophets and the teachings of the letters of the New Testament disciples and apostles, and as I compared and contrasted this with the life and teachings of Jesus, I began to notice a consistent theme that ran from the beginning of the Bible right to the end. And that theme was the idea of there always sort of being two groups. It seems wherever you turn in these ancient manuscripts, you'll find that there are normally two groups of people in each of the accounts and in the various stories and among the teachings and the prophecies. You keep finding two groups. For example, right there in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, we find two groups. We find those who worship God as he asks, as he taught, as he explained, 
And this group is kind of represented by one of the sons of Adam called Abel. And the second group is made up of those who bluntly disregard the instructions, the teachings and commands of God. And they seek to force God to be conformed to their own wishes, their own desires and their own beliefs. And this group is represented by the other son of Adam called Cain. Now, when you progress down about a thousand years in the storyline, you have another two groups that are mentioned. On one side, you have those whose thoughts are continually evil. And on the other side, you have a small group of people who are practicing righteousness. And these are the only ones who respond to the pleading of God to enter into the ark. And then again, after the flood, we find another two groups of people. We have those who call on the name of the Lord, and we have those who call on a man, and they name him Nimrod, and according to the original text, he is the first human who is worshipped in the place of God. We find other examples of these two groups, like the chosen of God, the Israelites, and the surrounding pagans who reject God. We see the contrast between Judah and the Babylonians. Then there's a contrast between the Jews and the Gentiles. Then there are those who are called into the church, which literally means in the original languages, those who are called out of something and called into something. Those who make up the church are the believers who have left behind the fallacies of the world and have become worshippers and followers of the only true God. And when you get down to the book of Revelation, things become even clearer in this apocalyptic book. In the last days, we once again see two groups, those who acknowledge God and his sovereignty and keep his commandments, and those who accept tradition in the place of the commandments of God. And whereas in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, we see this contrast played out between the characters of two men, in Revelation, the final act of this story is contrasted between the two symbolic women. One woman who's dressed in natural elements such as the sun, the moon and the stars represents that the beauty comes from God through this connection with God, through the communion with God. But then in contrast to that comes this woman who is clothed with purple, who puts on gold and tries to manufacture her beauty because of the absence of her relationship with God. And as you delve into these two symbols in Bible prophecy, we find that a woman represents a church. And a church are these people who are called out of something and called into the family of God. And so Revelation is giving us an indication that as we move closer to what the Bible calls the end of time or the end of days, we will see a clear distinction between two systems of worship. And then I noticed in the teachings of Jesus that he constantly referred to two groups as well. There were the sheep and the goats. There were the five wise virgins, the five foolish virgins. There were the faithful servants, the unfaithful servants. There were those who had faith and those who did not have faith. And then in this passage where Jesus makes this bold declaration that he has many sheep who are in other folds. You find it in John chapter 10, verse 16. He says this, Other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, in the context of this passage, Jesus is using the symbol of a sheep to represent his followers, and a symbol of a fold to represent a single body of followers. 
And this body of followers is the exact idea of the called out of the church. And so it seemed to me that Jesus was making this declaration that there are many individuals in many different folds, all these different churches and all these different systems of belief. But as they hear his voice, there will be one flock or one church with one shepherd. And Jesus here is obviously referring to himself. And I saw this same idea in the teachings of the Apostle Paul when he writes things like, We are all reconciled by God into one body through the cross. And he also says, There is one body where we are called into. And then he says that there is one Lord and one faith. This idea of there being something different and distinct from the world, this one body of believers, this one church, was repeated over and over and over again. And then I found the same idea was what Jesus taught as well when he said, Upon this rock I shall establish my church. He didn't use the word churches that Jesus says he will establish. He uses the singular of One church. One thing was clear. The more I read these ancient manuscripts, the more I saw that being a follower of Jesus, being a Christian, meant by definition that I was being called out of the world and called into something. And the more I read, the more I studied, that something was not a church, but I was being called into The Church, singular. Well, it's time to take a short break again, but when we come back, I'll continue with my quest to understand 5,000 churches. And don't forget to stick around to the end of the show to see how you can help me out. I'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. The Faith Experiment is made possible because of people like you. If you enjoy what we are doing, please consider supporting us by making a donation on our website at faithfm.com.au slash donate. I can feel when my mind starts to creep into doubt On the days when the strength in my heart's given There's a light, but it hides from me deep in the cloud There's a voice that I need, but I don't hear a sound If I run into what I can see Fighting out of all my Father, even in my song will be I know you will always carry me It's inevitable Set your promise to play on repeat in my head When you meet my anxiety, put it to death. If I 
Listening to the Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen, and this is episode 12 of the Faith Experiment, which I'm calling 5,000 Churches. And don't forget to stick around to the end of the show to see how you can help me out on this episode. Now, before the break, I shared with you how that after that night sitting in my lounge room watching that thunderstorm and after I heard Jesus praying for me and after I became a follower of Jesus, after I became a Christian, I started to immerse myself in the teachings of the Old and New Testament of the Bible. And as I did that, I saw very clearly that there were two groups of people, those who were outside and those who were inside this family of God. Now, the invitation was always given to all, but not everyone had accepted it. And as I explored this theme further, I discovered that Jesus claims to have established a church, not churches, but a singular church. Now, I've already shared with you my distaste for all things religious and all things political. And so I was, to be honest, a little bit uncomfortable with this notion of church I don't want to start hanging out with a bunch of religious nutters. After all, I had spent a good part of my adult life detesting these kinds of people. And I blamed them for most of the issues in the world. After all, it was the issues between the Jews and the Arabs that was the reason why every single night on the news I had seen this shocking suicide bombers, all in the name of religion. The explosion and then I had grown up seeing on the news the violence in Ireland every night between the Catholics and the Protestants. Sectarian clashes took place for a second night in Northern Ireland's capital, with police estimating as many as 700 people being involved. In an area of East Belfast where loyalist Protestants and Catholics are separated by peace walls, petrol bombs, missiles and fireworks were thrown at authorities. And what about the Spanish Inquisition or the Papal Dark Ages? Or what about the Catholics and the Orthodox? And now we have the Islamic terrorists. There is no way I wanted to be religious. But there was definitely a God and a supernatural realm. That much so far was pretty evident. But church? Showing up each week, conversing with people? Oh, and I bet they are all going to be asking for my money. So I concluded, and I felt comfortable with this resolution, I concluded that I would be a Christian. I would follow the teachings of these ancient manuscripts as best as I could and as I understood. But I would not 
join a church. I would just follow God on my own. After all, no church, no priest, no pastor was involved in me coming to this point, so why would I need them now? And this is how I continued for the next while. Each morning I would wake up, I would have my breakfast, I'd read something randomly chosen out of the Bible, I'd get in my car, I would drive to work, I'd be playing Alexander Scorby in the car, listening to random portions of the Old and New Testament texts. And once I got to work, I would sit there with my headphones on, again listening to Alexander Scorby over and over again. Then during my lunch breaks, I would walk across to South Bank Parklands and talk to God like I'm talking to you. And I sensed that there was definitely some things changing in my life. Nothing you could definitely point your finger at, but there was something happening. I'd come home from work, have dinner, read the Bible some more, listen to more of the Bible on CD, and honestly, I was living a life that felt like everything was going well. I felt blessed. And I learned more and more things, more information, and slowly a system of beliefs, a system of my beliefs started to form. But during this process, I saw once again this teaching of the church. And as I dug deeper, I started to see the why, the purpose, the reason for Christ establishing his church. Now, there are a number of reasons why he established a church, but to put it simplistically, this is what I found. There were two main reasons for the existence of a church. The first is fellowship, and the second is mission. You see, I came across verses like this one in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, which says this. It says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. It seems that it's easier to journey in this Christian walk together than to alone. This is what these texts seem to be suggesting. And on a level, this makes sense. You know, there's that old African proverb that goes something like, if you want to travel fast, travel alone. But if you want to travel far, travel together. And honestly, this is the same principle that exists in IT. If you want to develop good, robust code, you always do better in a team. There's something about getting input from people who have a different perspective to you. And so it's through that collaboration, through sharing of ideas, that you see things progress. And the Bible seemed to be indicating that this is one of the reasons for church. And the second reason seemed to be this idea of mission, or working together to accomplish a mission. You see, at the commissioning of the church, Jesus gave a very clear mission statement. The church exists, according to Jesus, to reach every person in every nation, in every language, with the gospel, to give everyone the opportunity to receive this gift 
of forgiveness, this gift of eternal life. Now, accomplishing a mission on this scale had never been done in the history of the world. No person, no kingdom, no government, not a group on earth that has ever existed has been able to reach every single person on the planet in a single generation with a single message. And yet, this is the mission that Jesus gives his church. And the blueprint to accomplishing this ambitious goal is through bringing people of different strengths and talents and resources into one living organism, one body, one organization. And each person is to play their part, which no one else can do. And this thing, this body, this system, this is the church. Now, like I said, I really didn't like the idea of hanging out with religious people. But it seemed that if I wanted to be a follower of Jesus, then belonging to his church was a part of the deal. And so I determined I was going to join his church. But the question was, which church? Now, this brought back some memories, memories from primary school. You see, every second Tuesday afternoon, right after big lunch, we'd all have to line up in two lines to enter the classroom. And as we waited for Mr. Bennett, and once we got into class, it was time for RE, or Religious Education. This was the time that you started to see your classmates in sort of a different kind of light because we were all separated into our various beliefs, our different denominations. There was Chantel and Kylie. They were cousins. And they were uniting. So they left first with their local minister. Then there was Robert and Lee. They were Methodists. They left the room next with their religious teacher. Then it was time for the Lutherans. Doug was one of them. Then there were the Catholics. That was Mark. And Fiona, she was a Baptist. Sarah, she was an Anglican. And Sam, he was a Jehovah's Witness. And then there was me, Rachel, and Kelly. We were the kids with no religion, who had to sit quietly in the classroom reading books or doing some boring activity, waiting for all the religious kids to come back to class after their instruction. I often wondered what went on in these classes, and why do they all have to go to different classes? I mean, didn't they all believe in the same God and the same Bible or something? I looked at it this way. If they all marched down the hallway with the same book in their hands, then why do they have to go to different rooms? Why do they all have so many different beliefs? And so now, as an adult, as a person who has explored not just Christianity, but other various world religions, and now as I felt compelled to be faithful to the teachings of Jesus, I had to connect with the church. The question was, which one of these churches do you join? Are they all the same? And why are there so many different denominations? And does it even matter? And so, I thought like any problem that you're trying to solve, the first step is to try to understand the problem. 
And so I thought, let me see how many Christian denominations there are. And with a quick search on Google, the answer came back with 5,000 different Christian churches or denominations existed in 2002. 5,000. I thought, am I reading that right? And yep, sure enough, in 2002, when I searched, there were 5,000 denominations, all with their differences, all with their similarities. 5,000, 5,000 churches. How on earth do you decide on which one to connect with? Well, it's time to take a short break now, but when we come back, I'll continue with my quest of 5,000 churches. And don't forget to stick around to the end of today's show to see how you can help the faith experiment. We'll be right back after this with the faith experiment. If you have enjoyed this episode of the faith experiment, please help us get the word out by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. Marvelous, wonderful, infinite God, author of all that is good, faithful provider and giver of life, source of all power and love. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, refuge of strength to the Redeemer and mighty to save He's the anchor of hope for the souls of men Gracious, compassionate, merciful God Radiant, holy delight Beautiful Father, victorious Son Source of unchangeable light Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise Refuge of strength to the end Righteous Redeemer and mighty to save He's the anchor of hope for the souls of men You are are healing for the broken heart. You are hope, you are Lord, you are life, you are love that endures. Powerful, constant, unwavering God, shepherd who comes for the lost. Rock of salvation, remarkable love. Savior who died on the cross Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise Refuge of strength to the end Righteous Redeemer and mighty to save He's the anchor of hope for the souls Oh, He's the anchor of hope for the souls Oh, He's the anchor of hope for the souls 
This is the Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen, and this is episode 12 of the Faith Experiment. I'm calling this episode 5,000 Churches. And coming up shortly, I'll be asking you for your help. So have your phone ready and your texting numbers ready to respond. Now, before the break, I left you with how, after becoming a Christian, I was perplexed with the idea of joining a church. But the more I read and the more I studied the Bible, the more I saw this concept that Jesus had established a church, not churches, but a church. And the primary reason for this, at least according to the Bible, for the existence of church was to be a source of fellowship and encouragement and to provide a system by which the mission of Jesus might be achieved. It was by pooling together resources to take the gospel to all the world. But as I shared before the break, when faced with this prospect of joining a church, the first question I had was, which one? And after a quick search on Google, I found that over 5,000 different Christian denominations existed in the world in 2002. And all of them, and I mean all of those 5,000 denominations, claimed to believe in the Bible. They all claimed to believe in God, and they all claimed to believe in Jesus. And of course, they all claimed to be right. And so, I decided to take the approach that before I talk to anyone, and I mean anyone from any of these various Christian denominations, I want to know what they believe, I want to know why they believe what they believe, and how is it different to the other denominations. Now, as you start to dig a bit deeper you'll soon find that the number 5,000 contains a lot of duplicates because of how they count as a denomination. And as you start grouping these denominations by families of theological beliefs, it's actually closer to about 20 to 30 unique denominational families. And so I went to the internet and I found the various statements of faith or creeds of each of these various families of Christian denominations. And I was able to find statements of faith for the Baptists, the Uniting Church, the Methodists, the Catholic Church, the Orthodox, the Anglicans, the Presbyterians, the Seventh-day Adventists, the Reformed Church, the Pentecostals, the Lutherans, the Seventh-day Baptists, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the True Church of God, and the Church of Christ. And I thought to myself, this is going to be a mission to figure out what all of these different families believe when it comes to faith. And so, as I sat there at my kitchen table one night after work, with hundreds of sheets of printed paper of these statements of faith, I thought about how am I going to approach this problem? What process would I use to go through each and every one of these statements of faith and creed of religion? And as I sat there thinking about it, I came up with using a matrix. I'd put across the top of the matrix the various denominations. And then down the left-hand side, I would list the various beliefs. And against each of these different denominations, I would give them a cross 
if I disagreed with their teaching, and I would give them a tick or a check mark if I agreed with their teaching. And I theorized that at the end of the exercise, I should be able to see which church had the most ticks. And so I went through each sheet of paper right there on my kitchen table every evening for weeks. My process was I read what the denomination believed, and then I got out my strongest strongs, the Bible concordance, and my King James Bible, and I would look up every text they gave. I would check for the context. I would look at other passages that shared the same theme of the context to check to see whether their belief was able to be proved or disproved. And after I felt that I had exhausted that particular belief, I would give them a check or a cross on my matrix sheet. I was looking for a church which literally ticked all the boxes. If I'm going to do this, if I'm going to join a church, I want to be sure that I share all of their beliefs. And this is how I spent my nights, night after night, week after week. And you know, it's it's quite funny how God worked it all out. You see, because I had lost my social circle after buying that Bible early in the year, I had all the time in the world to devote to this project each and every night. And I have often wondered how things might have been different if my old friends never abandoned me. You see, I would have spent all of my free time with them. And if I didn't have the time I needed to spend searching these texts night after night, I wonder how things would have been different for me and how that might have changed my future. You know, looking back, it's always easier to see where and how the Lord has led in my life. But to be honest, at the time, as I was facing these events in real time, it was very different. It was a different feeling. It was a different perspective because I didn't know where this was leading and where it would take me. You know, there's a quote from one of my favorite authors who writes, We have nothing to fear for the future, except we forget how the Lord has led us in the past. I don't know where you are today and what you're facing today in your life and how impossible it might seem right now for you. You might feel like there is no way out of this, of what's right in front of you. But don't forget to look back and to see how God has led you in the past. See how faithful He's been in the past. Because He is still with you. He still has a plan for you. When God doesn't move the mountains that you want Him to move, when He doesn't part the waters that you want to walk through, trust Him. Just trust Him. Well, next time on The Faith Experiment, I'm going to continue to take you on my personal faith experiment and how I went from a non-believer to a faith experimenter and how I found a church that ticked all my boxes. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show... Today, I need your help, and here's how you can help. I'm looking for ideas on topics that you would like to hear discussed on The Faith Experiment 
in the new year. Do you have any themes or subjects or questions that you've always wanted to explore? Well, this is your chance. I want you to text me your your ideas for what topics I should cover in the new year and text them through to 04-888-45311. That's 04-888-45311. Or you can email me those ideas on robbie at faithfm.com.au. I'm really looking forward to seeing what you send in and how you and your ideas and questions and thoughts and comments are going to shape the direction of the podcast in the new year. So I know I can count on you, my faithful listeners, to give me your input because at the end of the day, I do this show for you and for your experiment with faith. And so bring those questions in. Now it's time for this week's inbox. And this is the time when I browse through the inbox to share your comments feedback and questions. I have a text here from Lauren in Hobart who, after getting the e-gift of the Bible verses with your name in it, she sent in, thanks Robbie for reminding me that God is talking to me in those verses. I've been struggling lately with some things the devil's been throwing at me and your episode this week made me take a step back and think more about my actions and how to solve them. Thanks. You're the best with a thumbs up. Thank you very much, Lauren. Look, life is never, never easy. We're always going to have ups and downs. But as you said in your text, you've got to look up. You've got to take a step back, think about what's happening, remember who's in your corner in this great controversy, and uh, keep fighting, keep moving forward, and just hang in there, Lauren. God is on your side. I have another text here from Annie, who sent this through after receiving her e-gift of Jesus' prayer. And she says... Thank you so much. I was listening to Robbie and I asked Jesus to pray for me as I'm so low right now. What a blessing you have given me. Well, Annie, I'm so glad that you've found an encouragement in these words. These words are living words. They are not some dull, dusty 2,000-year-old text. This is a supernatural book that has real living life in it. I pray that you will continue just to hang in there, uh, keep your eyes on Jesus, and everything will start to grow strangely dim around you. The next comment I have here is a text from Eugene, who commented after the same e-gift. He says, Thanks. This is one of my favorite and very special verses in the Bible. It is so heartwarming to know it meant so much for someone else too. It sure did, Eugene. It changed my life, as you would have heard on the episode. Here's another text from Michael in Victoria, who says, I'm loving the series, Robbie. A really fresh perspective. Love the way your own testimony is teaching so many biblical principles. God bless Michael. Thanks, Michael. You know, for me, even when I look back at how this whole story played out in my life, it never ceases to amaze me how good God has been to me and how he's led me at each and every step, each twist and turn. He's been there guiding me and shaping me. And here's another text from Christine in South Australia who says, Thank you, Robbie. I can only get Faith FM in my car, so I'm not always able to listen to you. What is the time of your program each day, please? Well, Christine, the best thing you could possibly do is get the Faith FM app from the App Store on your smartphone. And then go to the podcast section on the phone and you will find the Faith Experiment there. And you can listen to it at any time you want. But in terms of being on air... 
best thing to do is go to faithfm.com.au and put in your uh, area there and it will tell you the times according to your area because it's a little bit different across the whole of Australia as you can appreciate. And here is another text from Susie, this time in Newcastle, who says, Thanks, Robbie. I always listen to your show and I appreciate your amazing stories. Thank you again. Have a blessed day, Susie. Thanks very much, Susie. I'm glad you're enjoying the show. Don't forget to share it with your friends and family. And I've got one last text here from Margie who says, I love the idea of the circle. So simple yet effective. Thanks, Margie. If you have not heard about the circle, you can text the code word CIRCLE to 0488845311 and you'll be able to see what Margie is thankful for. It's a circle that I've talked about numerous times on various episodes about the identity and characteristics of God inside the circle and everything the opposite on the outside side of the circle. Well, that's all for today. Thank you for your feedback. I really do appreciate it. You can text me your comments and feedback on 0488845311 or email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au. I love to hear your thoughts and comments. Well, that's all for now. I'll catch you next week at the same time right here on Faith FM for another episode in The Faith Experiment. I'll see you then. You have been listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Connect with us via text message on 04888845 that's 0488845311 or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au and let us know what you thought of this episode.